Are you listening to this show hoping to get some golden nuggets to help you on your way to recovery? Well, great. I hope that you find them because that is exactly what this show is for. But if you really want to take your recovery all the way, completely commit and get on track with your goals, whether they be finally feeling overall healthy, finally getting pregnant, or finally getting back to training, you'll want to join us inside of the HA Society. Not only is this the perfect community to ask questions and get your support and the accountability that you so often need during these uphill battles with body image and understanding nutrition and incorporating exercise, but it's also a hub of exclusive resources for HAers. All of the HA podcast episodes are released in advance and completely ad-free, so you can listen on the go to the raw, unedited versions, uninterrupted. All of the one-on-one coaching calls, of which we have two a week in different time zones, are uploaded to our private podcast feed so that you can listen to events with practitioners and the past community calls as though they were bonus podcast episodes, because I know how much you love to listen to this kind of stuff. And in these calls, we cover requested topics like overcoming the weight gain fears, communicating with friends and family about our HA, diving into how HA works, and debunking the imposter syndrome that so many of us have around this diagnosis. There's also an entire resources section with lectures, workshops, and training from the past events that are hosted by experts like Sarah Liz King, Laura Lyons, Kaylee McDevitt, Holly Dunn, and many more. As a member, you also get direct access to myself and Coach Ashley in the DMs. So if you have personal questions or need individualized advice about your recovery, we're in there answering your questions in the DMs, as are all of our other members in the group who impress me week after week with how they show up for each other. It's incredible. It's like women are just all becoming mini coaches for each other. It's so good. The HA Society is really the place to be if you're going through recovery, no matter what stage you're at. Whether you have HA or you've got a few recovery periods, we have your back and we're all your new best friends. So come and meet us at thehasociety.com forward slash join. That's thehasociety.com forward slash join and the link is in the show notes for you okay on with the show hey and welcome to the hypothalamic amenorrhea podcast an adulting advice podcast production i'm danny sheriff and this is the place to come if you care about getting your period regularly this podcast aims to educate inform and keep you motivated on your period and ha recovery track let's dive in And guys, please remember that I am not a doctor and nothing on this show should be taken as medical advice. Always seek the advice of your physician. Hey guys, before we jump into today's awesome episode with Erica, where she tells us her story of how she got HA and the step-by-step process that she took to reverse it and then get pregnant in a timely fashion, it's going to be great. I wanted to let you guys know today is the last day this month to join the HA Society. So go to thehasociety.com and join now because tonight at 5 p.m. Central it closes and then you'll have to wait till the next time I open it. Um, I will probably open it again in January, but I'm also reserving the option to take a month off. So yeah, but I'll probably open it. 
However, the sooner the better to come in to the group and start binge listening to all of the content that I release way in advance only to that group to start asking questions, listening to the event replays, listening to the community call replays, and of course, attending the community calls. Guys, come on in and meet your HA recovery support squad. And if you are someone who's recovered, or even if you're a practitioner and you just love listening to this podcast, come on in and chat because there are just so many girls that would do anything to get your support and your knowledge it's just like a a real hub for ladies just like you and I to get together and actually make real community so it closes today come on in link is in the show notes or just go to the hasociety.com and I'll see you there otherwise on with today's episode are you ready I guess so (sighs) okay Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HA Podcast. I'm here today with a VIP, very important podcaster. Um, her name is Erica. Erica, are we saying last names, Erica? Can I use your full name? Yeah, you can say it. Erica okay. Cohen. Cohen, there we go. I wasn't sure. I never remember to check these things because some people are like, I'm an anonymous name in the space. Um, coming but out, no. The coming out story. <laughs> it's a coming out story. And that's exactly what this is. So Erica is a member of the AJ Society and basically one of the first to kind of kick off a string of people being like, I'm pregnant <laughs> um, in the group, which is so freaking cool. Um, and she just has a really awesome story of intentional pregnancy. So we have, you know, the HA story of Nikki, who um, by the time this episode comes out, her follow-up will have come up, come out where she just like was trying to get her period back. And then instead, you know, kind of accidentally got pregnant. That's what she wanted to do, but she just wasn't expecting that to happen. But Erica's is a little bit more um, methodical. (laughs) So she's, she's going to share her story from the beginning. And then I think a lot of you guys will be just really interested in it because, you know, she's also in her thirties and just all, all the things. So welcome Erica. Tell us everything. Thank you. This is like been a long time coming because (laughs) what I remember when I was going through my recovery process and you had just started this podcast I messaged you and I was like, I'm going to get my period back. And when I do, I'm going to come on your podcast. (laughs) I love it. It's so good. Here we are. Um, Yeah. So I guess uh, my history. So I was not somebody who had an eating disorder for decades or was like a fitness competitor or anything like that. I'd always had like a normal BMI, maybe even bordering on a little bit overweight. And I was never into exercise at all. And one day my sister introduced me to an online fitness program that I actually jived with and I got really into it. And I did it like, you know, six days a week. And I was seeing really great results in terms of my athletic abilities and endurance, but I didn't have the aesthetic look of fitness that I wanted. I saw all these other girls on Instagram who were doing the same programs that I was doing and they had these like chiseled abdominal muscles. And I was like, oh, well, I want to like show something for all the hard work that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I found out that those girls were counting macros. So I started exploring macro counting. 
and started with a calorie cut. And right around the same time that I started counting macros was when my husband and I decided it was time to try to have a baby. So, and everything that I had read, like in, you know, normal, like pregnancy advice says, oh, you know, having a really healthy diet and exercising and sometimes even losing a little bit of weight can help you get pregnant faster. So I was like, oh, this is perfect. I'll just be the epitome of health and wellness and I'll get pregnant like that and, you know, everything will be all good. So I had my birth control implant removed and it took, you know, a couple of weeks for my menstrual cycle to come. And when it did, it was a lot shorter and lighter than I remembered it to be from, you know, before I had been on birth control. I had had like, you know, in the past debilitatingly painful cramping and like heavy bleeding. And this was like nothing, which was very surprising to me. So I thought like, okay, well, I just had my implant taken out. It's my first period in like two or three years. Maybe it's mm-hmm. going to take a cycle for things to normalize. Um, so I waited for my next period to come and I started doing some, um, fertility tracking stuff, which I'll go into all the scientific process of that. (laughs) later. Um, but I started like collecting that information. And so I, I was able to identify that I ovulated the first cycle I had, I ovulated as well. So I detected two ovulations. Um, but my next period was the same. It was really short, really light. At that point, I identified that my luteal phase was also really short. So now like sirens are going off in my head, like, okay, something isn't right here. And I told, you know, some family and my husband, they were like, oh, you're probably overreacting, you know, just give it some time. And meanwhile, like I'm continuing to cut my calories down and down and down on this macro cut. So um, I'm waiting for my next ovulation to come. I'm using like temperature tracking and all these other things. And then, you know, two weeks go by, three, four, five, six. I know I have, I'm not pregnant because I'm looking for ovulation, which hasn't happened yet. And I'm like, all right, this, this is it. Something's wrong. And, oh, I should mention I'm a physician. So <laughs> when you're a physician and you start Googling things, maybe it's even worse because <laughs> I have access to all of this like heavy you know, medical literature and I'm starting to like self-diagnose myself and I'm like, oh, you know, well, mm. it could be PCOS, but then I don't have XYZ symptoms. And like, you know, what if it's premature ovarian failure, but I'm not having menopausal symptoms. So I just kind of like got in my head and started driving myself crazy. Um, but I knew that in order to officially be diagnosed with hypothalamic amenorrhea, you have to wait three months without a cycle before they'll, you know, officially consider you amenorrheic. So I basically made an appointment and scheduled it for like three months on the dot from my last menstrual cycle. So that as soon as I could get in there and get a diagnosis, I would like get this taken care of immediately. Um, So that's when I went to my OB, Um, they ran lab works, very stereotypically, they said, everything looks okay. There's nothing, you know, grotesquely abnormal here. I don't really know what's going on. Were you just like low normal, low normal ranges or? Yeah. I mean, my my estrogen was definitely low. Um, I don't know, maybe that, that person who saw me didn't flag that as being super abnormal to her. She just saw like, oh, well, 
we don't know where you're at in your menstrual cycle. Yeah. You're just in the early phase. There is no menstrual cycle. Are you listening? Right. Right. (laughs) But at least she had the the foresight to be like, well, I know it's it's not healthy that you don't have a period right now. So like then you need to reproductive and endocrinology and figure out what's going on. Um, This is where like fate comes in a little bit because I had originally scheduled appointment with one doctor and then a COVID pandemic broke out Mm. big time. And so that appointment got canceled. So I rescheduled for a couple weeks later. And the only person who had availability was a a different physician. And to me, I didn't care. I didn't know any of these people. I was just like, first available, get me in. And this woman like saved my life, basically. (laughs) This doctor, um, we had a talk, a consultation. I told her my history. She asked about things like diet and exercise. She's like, I think I know what's going on, but like, let's, you know, run some repeat labs and, and I'll get back to you. And so labs came back and she was like, you know, it's, it could be X, Y, and Z, but I think most likely what you have is hypothalamic amenorrhea. And there's a book that a lot of my patients have found helpful called No Period Now What by Dr. Nicola Rinaldi. Like she basically just handed me the diagnosis on a silver platter with the treatment instead of so many other girls that I have met through all these support groups who spend like years not knowing what's going on and being shuttled around to all different like practitioners and physicians and whatnot. So I I'm like, really, I don't know how I ended up that lucky to be Mm. under the care of a physician who actually knew, you know, a hundred percent what my issue was and how to fix it. So I read that book like cover to cover within a day or two But even having all of this information and knowing exactly what I needed to do, it was still hard for me to like mentally and emotionally accept that I needed to like make these drastic lifestyle changes. I was still like, like, I guess I had to go through an emotional mourning of sorts of like giving up this fit body that I had spent, in my opinion, so long, like, you know, finally, like making it look a way that I was happy with now mm-hmm. I have to accept that, that that wasn't healthy and I needed to undo it. So I had already been like slowly increasing my calories on a reverse diet at this point, but like lab work month after month, like wasn't really showing that much improvement. Mm-hmm. And my physician was like, well, you know, you are not a little young spring chicken anymore. Like you're 35, you want to have a family. Like, you know, you definitely can try to do this on your own. Medications are also an option. And, you know, I'll just leave that to you to decide like if and when you want to take that leap. And I had told her, like, I would really prefer to try to do this on my own and leave that as a last resort. And she was completely supportive of that. Yeah. So um, one day I, I was like in the garage doing a workout and I just had like an emotional breakdown over this whole thing. I was so tired physically, emotionally, mentally. Um, I was really like, I, I was so frustrated. And this at, up until that point, I hadn't really had the support of my husband, my mother, like people in my life. They were kind of like questioning the diagnosis. Is this really what needs to be done? 
And I know this has come up a lot in some of your other um, podcasts and stuff, like not really, not, it's not their fault, but they just are like set in this mentality of like, this is what health and fitness is, and this is how we live. So I was really struggling with that. But when I had this like breakdown and I just started sobbing about how miserable I was and how I I was sick of feeling this way, in that moment, my husband saw me and he was like, okay, we, we got to fix this. Like, I understand, like I'm on board, whatever you need to do to turn the situation around. Like we want to start a family. Let's just go for it. And then I was like, okay, I'm ready. I can do this. That's kind of the moment that so many girls just want to also have. Like, I know it probably sucked to be sobbing on the floor in that moment, but Mm -hmm. also like hitting, that's the whole like hitting rock bottom thing. Yeah. Just like, can I please just be in a position where I can just make a decision right now about how to do this and be super certain. Yeah. I needed yeah. that moment. I, I didn't know what to do until I knew what to do. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. So I woke up the next morning and was like, I'm eating 2,500 calories a day. And I think in my reverse diet at that point, I was pretty close to that number. I was already eating maybe like- Something about like tracking it. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I was so close to that magic number. I was, I think I was around like 2,200 calories a day, but it just wasn't enough for me. And I had already kind of made the switch to um, like less cardiovascular based exercise. I had switched more to like weight-based training. I wasn't really getting my heart rate up anymore. So I had already been making like little changes, but it clearly was not yet enough. So I committed to doing the 2,500 calorie thing. And I did track those calories because I wanted to make sure like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it correctly. Yeah. But you're coming at it now from a different mindset. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I made sure I hit at least 2,500, if not more. Like if I ate 3,000 that day, so be it. There were some days that like I wasn't as hungry, but I kind of just encouraged myself as though like food is my medicine. I need this to get better. I'm going to have an extra piece of toast today or something like that to make sure that I hit that 2,500 mark. Yeah. So maybe like... I want to say three weeks into this, I had repeat blood work done. I was getting it maybe like every one or two months. And my RE called and was like, your estrogen is skyrocketing. I think you're going to ovulate this week. Mm. And I was like, no, <laughs> like I can't be like that fast after like, that's all I needed. So I kind of didn't believe her. I was like, it must be a fluke. She's like, just start, you know, testing, like use your little OPK strips and like see if you're going to ovulate. I was like, all right. I pet, like tested the next five days. Nothing was happening. And then mm. all of a sudden it turned positive. And again, I was like in disbelief. I'm like, no, it's a false, it's a false alarm. It's got to be like, it's got to be a false LH surge or something. Mm. And then... And my temperatures, my post-ovulatory temperatures really weren't super high. So I wasn't convinced that I actually ovulated. Yeah. And then a couple of days later, you know, I had another breakdown to my husband. I'm like, I, at this point, between the reverse diet and the intentional weight gain, I think I had gained like 15 plus pounds maybe. 
and my clothes were getting tighter and I was just, I was feeling icky. I had one of those days and I was crying. My husband, like, what if this is just, you know, a lie and it's not really going to work and how can I go on feeling like this? I went upstairs to use the bathroom and I got my period. (laughs) So So funny. Yeah. It's like always right when we're super pissed about the process. Yes. This happens so often. All the time. But don't go making, yeah, yeah, don't go intentionally getting pissed off every week hoping it works. You know, it's when you're genuinely upset. Yeah. 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 When you are like on your last bit of hope, that's when it happens. (laughs) Your last bit of hope. (laughs) Dude, I mean, I think it's really cool. It, if everyone can kind of relate to this, like, you sort of tried doing it the the little baby steps way, mm-hmm. and and p- those probably played a role, you know, in in because you felt like it wo- oh this worked way too fast, like mm-hmm. I'm ovulating way too soon. I mean, that time that you spent, you know, reverse dieting and and taking those baby steps probably wasn't for nothing but going you know all in just helped to get across the line probably yeah we, we can speculate but I'm sure it did yeah yeah okay cool so you got your period back it was wonderful and exciting and then what happened so then I told my husband like all right this is it it's game time <laughs> like we are committing to this we are going like all in on baby making um, so I had already put in all the research on how to do this very scientifically, you know, eight or nine months beforehand, before I realized that mm-hmm. I had today. So I had like all my supplies and everything like ready to go. Um, one of the supplies, things that- supplies, what are we talking about? Yeah. So first of all, because I knew that I had a short luteal phase when I got my period back, which is extremely common in HA recovery. And now I realize that when I had my implant removed, those couple short periods before I lost it completely was also a luteal phase defect that I was slipping mm. into HA. So it's like a slope. You don't just all of a sudden lose your period out of nowhere. Yeah. Usually like the luteal phase shortens, then you lose your period. And then as you come out of recovery, it's, you know, the same way, way out. Yeah. So from uh, Rinaldi's book, there were like a couple of things that she suggested trying to help lengthen the luteal phase. One of them was taking vitamin C supplements. And then there were a couple other things that were maybe more like hormonally focused or more advanced. For me, I was like, let's just start with the simplest thing and maybe it'll keep me from like- Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, And also I made sure that I didn't change a single thing from- my recovery process. So I continued to track to make sure that I was eating at least 2,500 calories a day. Even if I wasn't hungry, I made sure that I ate them and I didn't change anything about my exercise. Some women I know tend to like reintroduce things too quickly and then they kind of get stuck again. So I was not about to let that happen. So those were the things that I did like baseline. And then as far as tools, so temperature tracking, which you've already done a a pod about fertility awareness method, right? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I had my, my basal body temperature and the one that I use, I think is called proven, which has a backlight on it. Mm 
which is super handy if you're <laughs> early in the morning when it's dark out. And then ovulation predictor kits. So I still really don't know why they call them kits when it's actually just like it's a stick. Stick. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah. Maybe they used to like package it differently or like they come with mm. different tests. I don't know, but it's a stick. So <laughs> um, a lot of women, I think most women probably use like the cheapest and most accessible sticks, which are these like little dip sticks that you dip in your urine in the morning and they give you a line and you can plug it into an app to tell you whether the line is dark enough to mean that your luteinizing hormone is surging or not. For me, like seeing the women on, on these message boards, like struggling and being like, I don't know, is this positive? What do you think? I know. <laughs> I'm like, it could just be a like a shitty photo. Uh-huh. This is really hot. Yeah, that was like not for me. I know like I'm a person that needs definitive yes, no's. So I went with digital ovulation tests and Clear Blue is a company that makes those. And even in Clear Blue, there's like a couple varieties of ovulation tests. And I used two of them because again, I was just being, you know, overly scientific and gung-ho about this. So the most basic type of ovulation stick will tell you if there's a luteinizing hormone surge. And that's the one that you get like 24 hours before you're going to ovulate. So the digital sticks from Clearview, Clearblue either give you a blank face or a smiley face. If you get a smiley face, that means you're going to ovulate in the next 24 to 48 hours. Then the more advanced type of ovulation test sticks also measures for changes in estrogen. So before you get the luteinizing hormone surge, leading up to that, you get rising estrogen levels. And once your estrogen levels are high enough, that's what triggers the luteinizing hormone surge. So these advanced sticks will tell you when it detects that your estrogen levels are rising. And that gives you like a couple of days advance notice of when you're going to ovulate, which is helpful because the egg itself actually only lives for like 12 to 24 hours. So if you either like find out a little bit late that you're about to ovulate, or maybe like your partner happens to be away or working late or whatnot, and they're not there on that mm-hmm. day, then you might miss your little 12 hour window when that egg mm-hmm. is survival. So it's so weird that it's such a short period of time. I mean, I know obviously like cervical mucus will keep it alive for five days. Thank goodness for that or else none of us would be here. Yeah. The sperm surviving for so long, like that's clutch. So (laughs) (laughs) So like stubborn little buggers. So yeah. So the, the advanced sticks will tell you like your estrogen levels are rising now So have intercourse like every other day during this process to make Mm -hmm. sure that you have enough sperm on board so that when you do ovulate, they're like, they're ready to go. Mm -hmm. Um, So the advanced sticks, I think you have to use in the morning. They want first morning urine, which is the most concentrated to be able to measure these hormones. 
but I believe luteinizing hormone surges more commonly happen in the afternoon or the evening. Yeah. So if you are relying on a morning test to tell you that you're surging and then you don't see your partner until that evening or maybe even the next day, then like your window's kind of shot. So I would use the advanced monitors in the morning until I got signs of estrogen levels rising. And then once that happened, then I would also start testing with the more basic luteinizing hormone test stick in the evenings to try to make sure that I knew like the first moment that my luteinizing hormone was surging. The thing about the advanced monitors that that is a little like footnote that you have to look for in the big instruction manual is that they're based on a normal like ovulatory cycle that happens on day 14. And HA girls, especially early on, tend to not ovulate on day 14. We have like longer cycles, right? Mm -hmm. So the test says that if you don't show signs of ovulation by day, I don't know what it is, probably by like day 20, that the monitor is just going to assume like you're not going to ovulate this month and stop testing. And it'll stop asking you for test sticks. So like if you're going to use this monitor, first of all, like you should never use these advanced things before you've had at least one recovery period because they're super expensive and you'll end up wasting a ton of money on these things. But even once you get your period back, you have to like keep this in the back of your mind. Like if, if I, if the computer doesn't think that I've ovulated by this date, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to ovulate and you should keep testing with something cheaper in the afternoons. So like for me, um, when I was using my test sticks, I, I think it was like cycle day 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, like it took a, a couple of days for that estrogen surge to actually happen. I think I'm like, I'm going back to see how long it took actually, because I wrote it down. It was on cycle day 20 that I finally got a high. Mm. So um, when that happened, like I kept taking tests in the morning. So cycle day 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, it just kept lasting like high fertility. High fertility. Um, and then cycle day 25, the monitor just went blank. And it, so it was like, sorry, you're out of luck for right. that month. It's not going to happen. I'm out. <laughs> but I knew, I was like, okay, I'm having like some physical signs. It says my estrogen level is rising. So like, I've got to be close. So I made sure that I still took one of the basic LH tests in the evening and it gave me a positive. And I said, yep, you're ovulating. It's happening. So luckily my husband and I had been baby dancing like every other day during my high fertility period. Once I got the LH surge, we baby danced, we baby danced the day after that. And then I was waiting to see my temperatures go up post ovulation. And they hadn't yet given me that nice temperature shift to prove. Yeah. Yeah. Like a real good one. Yeah. I wanted to know like that egg has dropped and, and it didn't happen yet. So I was like, Ooh, well, now what do we do? And my husband's like, well, we got to make sure that we get it. Like we, we just got to keep doing it until we know that, that you ovulated. So yeah. we ended up baby dancing many, many, many days extra days. <laughs> and it's so funny, like, you know, at the beginning of this process, 
as all men are, they're like, this is great. We're going to get to like do it all the time. I can't, this is going to be awesome. Yeah, no, they hate it in the end. They're like, I don't want to do it. I know. I've heard this before. Yeah. By like the sixth day, we were both like, all right, like, let's just do it. Like, let's get it over with. Like, I want to go to bed. It's like not exactly the romantic vision that we had, uh, you know, in our minds, but it's fine. You got to do what you got to do. Actually, like we ended up kind of having fun with it. Like we ended up just kind of laughing our way through it because we recognized like the absurdity of, of all of it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of, yeah. We just had to laugh at ourselves through it. Um, Totally. Yeah. So then like eventually, like I did see the, the nice temperature shift and I was like, okay, it happened. What day? Do you remember what day you saw the shift? Um, Cause you said you saw estrogen rising to cycle day 20. Mm-hmm. Um, let me actually look at my chart. Just like so, curious. So like it's, it kind of was like slowly shifting up um, mm. post ovulation day one, two, three, three it was just like kind of going up so you didn't see normal day and then next day big shift you had a slow climb yeah I was a slow climb Mm. yeah unusual which can happen apparently um yeah so that's why I wasn't like super sure and it wasn't until I had you know like two or three days clustered together that were obviously higher than those other temps I was like yeah okay we're good like this is this has happened. Yeah. Somehow I, it did the thing it was meant to do. It doesn't look how they say it should look, Yeah. but the end result is the same. Yeah. Yeah. So then I, uh, I started counting cause you need at least 10 days, days. post ovulation for anything to be viable. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I could, well, I like, I ran out of, cause I chart by hand and I ran out of days on my, um, temperature and I would have had to start a new de- a new page uh-huh. and I just decided to stop right there <laughs> I just was like I can't good for you that took a lot of stress out of it I'm sure <sighs> yeah I think it did sorry <laughs> I cut you off <laughs> keep going <laughs> um let me think yeah so saw saw the shift and then like a couple days went by I honestly I'm a pessimist at the heart so I was thinking like this is great like we did all the right things chances are my luteal phase will be short again because I still you know over the course of a year never had a normal length luteal phase so like what are the chances this would actually work on like our first real go at it so I was definitely like pessimistic about it but I'm like looking at the calendar and I'm counting the days and I I kind of got like a feeling and like somehow I knew in my gut I'm like I think I'm pregnant. Like it was still, it was around like day, I want to say like day seven or eight. I just started getting this weird like premonition. I was like, I think Be- that I'm pregnant. <laughs> what was what had been the longest luteal phase you'd had prior? Like five or six days. Yeah. So that that's kind of like that. I know this is still t- short, but it's the longest one I've had. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, I don't know. I can't really even explain it because, and there's no, I, I can't say that it was just like wishful thinking because like I said, I'm a pessimist. Like I, I don't like live on hopes and dreams. I'm like, you know, negative Nancy over here, but there was just something I was, I've had this gut feeling. And so this was right around when, uh, RBG passed away. And I remember sitting there like at the counter and I told my husband, I'm like, 
if I'm pregnant and it's a girl, we're naming her after Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> he just kind um, of like laughed at me. Is that still the plan? <laughs> well, maybe. Um, Ruth. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Like I kind of just knew and like I looked at the calendar and I'm like, I'm like planning, I'm like, hmm, well, we have plans to like get together with family for the holidays in a couple days. Like I'll probably like know by then. So that would be like a good time to tell them. Like I just ran through all this stuff in my head, just like thinking this is it. But I waited until cycle day, I want to say 12 to actually take the test. Did you really? Yeah. That doesn't sound like something that you would do. You know, I wanted to wait until the weekend because I just knew that if I took a test and then like had to go into work, that mentally I was just not (laughs) there. (laughs) And and I didn't think that was like the right thing to do. And I wanted to be able to like, you know, celebrate with my husband and all this stuff. So, And I didn't want to test too early and get a false negative because I was so sure that like, like I, I tell me, I just knew. So I was like, to like, oh no, I'll get like a good test and that's it. Yeah, I feel you. I had a really similar thing where I hadn't had any long luteal phases either. And my longest one had been like seven or eight days max. Uh-huh. And then on the the day that it equaled the same as my last longest luteal phase, but my tits were still on fire. <laughs> that's when I was like, hmm. Mm. I think it works. So there, I've, I like tested on like day seven, wow, which is unusual. And I got a positive. Oh my and of God. course, I was like, I was like, it could be a fall. It could be false. But <laughs> yeah, but I was like, nah, it's not false. No, I'm me, and it's gonna be great, and it's gonna be fine. And it, yeah, it just got darker after that. But I was like, every single thing I googled was like, I was like, how. GD soon. Can you take a test? <laughs> and they're all like two weeks or like, you know, the day after you're missing period, like the day after the first day of missing period. I'm like, well, that's way too long. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, but I'm like, well, this is technically when my period starts. Usually, oh, like usually, usually it yeah. starts on this day. So I was like, this is a gray area guys. And, and then a part of me has just been suspicious ever since of like, they really like to say your luteal phase has to be 10 to 16 days or you're all defected. But like, I don't know. I got pregnant and I, I had made changes. Yes. Yeah. To, I had been doing things. Um, I remember you said you were like on mission extension. Operation. Phase. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't do the things you did. Like I did supplement with vitamin C. I did different things. And, um, but a part, and a part of me is just like, like this is it tested positive and I hadn't had any like had I hadn't had longer luteal phases prior so like I don't know maybe I don't know did I need to revisit that I I'm curious I want to like know about more people who have experienced this for sure go us yeah we did it yeah (laughs) okay so yeah basically that was it you uh, were just like on top of the data, the dates, tracking the stuff. Yeah. And like, obviously you can absolutely get pregnant without doing this like crazy Mm -hmm. scientific experiment that I did. Plenty of girls in our group can attest to that. 
But if you're someone like me, who's like, you know, mid late thirties clock is ticking and you're like, I need to do everything that I can to make this happen as fast as possible. These are the things that I did. And most of it was based off of, um, these two books. So one of them was, um, taking charge of your fertility by Tony Weschler, I want to say. That's the one that tells you all about like how to track your temperatures and your cervical fluid and stuff. And then the one that taught me about like the um, ovulation sticks was the impatient woman's guide to getting pregnant by (laughs) twinge, I want to say. Oh, that's the perfect book. Yes. I was like, oh, I can identify with that. (laughs) Yeah, that's so good. Okay, cool. I like it. I mean, I feel like I did the same thing. I just, yeah, you can do it either way. Yeah, I think it's like how type A are you going to (laughs) be? It was kind of fun. I don't know about you, but I thought it was kind of fun to like see if I can figure this out. Yeah, I definitely got almost addicted to tracking the data. I also, oh, actually like another data point that I didn't mention that I was also tracking was my heart rate. So like when I was deep in HA, my resting heart rate was like, I want to say 46. My, would the doctor always double check yours? I hadn't. I mean, I, until I started going in for those fertility appointments, like I guess I hadn't had a routine appointment um. for anyone else to notice. And it's almost like, and I've talked about other like physicians who go through HA about this as well. It's almost like embarrassing to us because we know that a heart rate of 46 is not normal. Like that's dangerously low, but there's something about like when you're in this like fit life mentality that you're like, Oh, 46 just means that I'm like super fit and healthy. I thought I was so cool Mm -hmm. because my heart rate was super low that the girl's like my optometrist they check your heart rate everywhere you go. And my optometrist checked my heart rate. And she was like, I'm going to check it again just to make sure you're not dead. <laughs> and and I was just like, mm-hmm, that's because I'm so fit. Uh-huh. I know. <laughs> I know. And it's it's just the opposite. Like, it's a warning sign. Yeah, so totally. So when I had been going through recovery, my heart rate was, like, very slowly increasing. And the week that I hit 60 BPM for the first time in like months, that was the week that I ovulated. And then when I had my um, pregnancy cycle, like as I was in that luteal phase, my heart rate started like skyrocketing. Like it started going up to like the 70s, the high 70s. And I had never seen a resting heart rate that high. I'm like, am I on fire? Like what is going on? Yeah. So like my metabolism just really responded. And it's been really interesting, like seeing how those those changes that happen, like even now in early pregnancy, how your body's still like adjusting Mm -hmm. physiologically to all these changes. Yeah, that's really weird. I remember like noticing... um my I could like hear my heartbeat more you know inside if I if the room is really quiet something I could kind of like hear it and feel it in my ears and like heart (laughs) are you okay but I I feel like it had some kind of correlation with just like ovulation post ovulation Mm -hmm. um but that's had like uh my my 
period or my like my luteal phase is I basically would were just like pregnant every month. Like it was exactly like I had the sorest boobs. My heart would be pumping hard. I would have funny dreams and I would be really hungry and I would be super tired. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what this is about, but the only difference has just been feeling nauseous thus far. <laughs> and like the, the boob soreness not going away. Question randomly, have you experienced, are your boobs still sore? Yes. And do you get the thing where they're the sorest, like when you first wake up in the morning yes, and you get out of because- bed and you have Yes. Like, ah! like gravity has like you know you've been lying flat all night and then all of a sudden you get out of bed and it's just like boom. I know it feels like there's like some thing some kind of hormone pooling in them because you're lying so still and then you get up and it's like uh-huh. and it burns yeah it's the most painful <laughs> part of the day for sure I know, but it's also this like lovely reminder. You're like, yes, I'm still pregnant. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, now you now you go through all different kinds of fears. Before it was like, you know, my body's never not working. When am I going to ovulate? Mm. Now you switch to all different kinds of fears. Like, you know, if my symptoms aren't as strong today. So, like, what does that mean? Like, is everything I know. okay? Mm-hmm. <gasps> yeah, like you kind of it's you. Ma- it makes sense that. I'm sure every girl in their first trimester is like low-key freaking out about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just try to remember that like those are very normal thoughts to have mm-hmm. and leave them on. But dude, like everything is potentially dangerous. Yes. <laughs> have you been active through your pregnancy? Um, you know, in the first couple weeks, I wasn't at all. I felt so not even like, it wasn't like I was going to bed super early, but physically I felt like I had no energy and just Mm -hmm. going for a walk around the block. I was like panting. Mm -hmm. Like my, I felt so out of breath out of nowhere all the time. So I really cut back. Um, I switched to yoga for a while and now that I'm feeling a little bit better, I'm I'm almost at the end of my first try now. And so I just started doing bar classes at home and things like that to like work on a little bit more muscle strength, but without going back to weightlifting because I don't feel like comfortable doing that at this stage. Fair enough. I have been, I'm at the beginning of my first trimester, so we'll see. And I totally experienced that fatigue the first couple of days. And I was like, I just went for a walk. My legs feel heavy. Like I have been doing sets of 20 squats or something like Mm -hmm. I feel tired like that um and going to bed at like eight but waking up at like three Mm -hmm. (laughs) and just weird shit like that but if I feel really good I have been hitting the weights because that's what I'm used to and I don't want to change things up too much but I definitely am like um I want to be as sensible as absolutely possible mm-hmm. um yeah so it's like it's really hard because there's also a lot of talk about like being active through your pregnancy is like beneficial for like getting through labor and a part of me is like when I when I think about being a, when I was a competitive athlete like yeah you trained like six or nine months for this moment that lasts one hour or something like yeah. Um, on competition day and I'm like seeing a lot of correlations between 
the that and preparing for pregnancy. But you know what? So, at the same time, like I've I've watched some of these women on like social media and even friends of mine who were super super active throughout their pregnancy, and then actually going through labor just completely like knocks them on their ass and they like mm-hmm. can't move for six weeks and they're like the most like fit active people ever one of my friends ended up having a, an unplanned emergency c-section and mm-hmm. like he was out of commission for a while so I don't know like I think, no I see what you're saying yeah I think the fitness is important just because like you want to move your body and it's healthy for for you and the baby and things like that but I don't know how much of an impact it would have like as you're actually recovering from labor when your insides have been like literally ripped apart. <laughs> I'm sure everyone is so different. And mm-hmm. yeah, like your your preparation, potentially your fitness level going in, probably your fitness level going into um, pregnancy prior is like, more what you're going to have a faster time building back up to Mm -hmm. but when it comes to like handling labor I mean you just hear all kinds of things Mm -hmm. you hear all kinds of things so yeah I do think that like it was valuable to go through the recovery process leading up to getting pregnant because I think it would have been hard for me like if I was still eating really low calorie and exercising all the time to then all of a sudden go to like, well, now you've got to be eating, you know, this much more on a regular basis. Okay. You're already eating like you're pregnant. Yeah, exactly. Like I really, I think you asked me that, like, you know, have you been extra hungry or, or eating more? Like mm-hmm. since you found out you're pregnant and I feel like I've pretty much exactly been like what I was doing in recovery. Like I'm, eating the same way that I was. I'm exercising about the same way that I was. And so it wasn't like such a dramatic lifestyle shift. And I think I was just able to like focus on the emotional part of just being pregnant. That's so cool. I have had the exact same thought where it's like, if I went into pregnancy still in that mindset, I think I would be focused a lot on like, okay, how do I get through this pregnancy and maintain, you know, where I was at and gain the minimal amount of weight and blah, blah, blah. And having gone through this process is like, um, just makes you so much more aware. And I'm really excited to just be present in the process. And, um, every time I like catch myself thinking about something to do with work or just whatever, um, you know, I can bring myself back to this like thing that I'm going through that I get to sit and be present with and enjoy. And I don't know if um, I would be in that mindset and be like ready to handle also just the changes that are going to happen um, to my to my body in general. Yeah. Like afterwards, I think it's yeah. going to be much easier. Yeah. My sister had made that point to me when I was still in that part where I was like struggling with the idea of going all in. And she was like, uh, don't you want to have a baby? Like, do you recognize Mm -hmm. that your body is going to have to go through all of these changes regardless? Like you're not going to go through pregnancy with like six pack abdominal muscles. That just doesn't happen. So you might as well, like, you know, get used to your changing body now. And it was such a good point. And yeah, exactly. Like now I, I don't give a second thought to how my body looks really. I'm like, 
already wearing maternity leggings and I'm just loving how much more comfortable it is than like trying to squeeze myself into tiny jeans that don't fit anymore. I'm just fully embracing it. Yeah. That's so exciting. Mm. Well, I hope that everyone listening is inspired. I know lots of you want to get pregnant someday or someday soon. And, you know, you can just take it from us that it's okay if you're feeling like this is just never going to happen and F this shit and I can never get to a place mentally where I can do the things I need to do. No, you got this. It's going to be great. Yeah. Bodies are not broken. No, they're just like laying stagnant, being like, is it safe to come out? In sleep (laughs) mode. Just in sleep mode. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) On do not disturb. Totally. Exactly. Well, thank you, Erica. Can people reach out to you and ask you questions if they have any? Yeah. You know, I started this Instagram account a while ago that I still haven't done anything with. I kind of want to use it as like a platform to be able to connect with other physicians to help educate them about HA. So maybe I'll use this as like motivation to start actually posting things there. But that account on Instagram is the HA doc. Perfect. All right, guys, go over to the HA doc and hold her accountable to having posted something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And if you have questions about like pee sticks, ovulation monitors and all of that kind of thing, um, she's going to be super down because whenever people post any question in the HA society, Eric is like always on there with the best answers and the, the best break, the best breakdowns for people to understand stuff. So she's a good resource for that, for sure. Thank, Thank you, Danny. Of course. I hope you have a really good day and I hope everyone listening has a really great day also. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening today, guys. Please subscribe to the podcast. And if you could head to iTunes specifically and leave a rating or review, that would help so much because it makes it easier for other people with HA who are Googling around to find the podcast really easily. So if you do that, you're doing a service to all of the women.